you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 6, we'll be reading the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should be should, should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perimenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, thank you, Mel, for reading for us our passage of Scripture. We're returning to Acts chapter 6. We're just going to look at the first seven verses. Relatively speaking, this is a short chunk of Scripture that we'll be covering because we've been covering uh, large portions throughout this series. A number of years ago, my wife and I sat down and we watched an old movie starring Jimmy Stewart called The Glenn Miller Story. And it was, a, it was a, a, a movie that depicted this Midwestern boy in his struggles and pursuit to make a career in the music industry. And as we watched that, if you've ever followed along with that story, Mr. Miller went through one failure and one setback and one wave of adversity after another. And in 1937, he was able to form his own big band only to have it collapse at the end of the year. And he was in this quest to to determine and to discover his own unique sound. There in Dallas in 1937, he turned to a friend named Benny Goodman and he said, what what must I do? How can I I make it here in the music industry? Mr. Goodwin said, you just need to stick with it, Glenn. Just, Just stick with it. Well, in 1938, he he tried to form his second band. And at this time, he was introduced to a saxophonist named Wilbur Schwartz. And during one practice, Mr. Miller had Wilbur not play the saxophone, but actually the clarinet. And as he played that clarinet and he accompanied it with three other saxophones, Glenn Miller discovered that one unique sound that was his trademark. And even an untrained ear can determine that, that right there is the Glenn Miller Orchestra. That little story illustrates the value of what a problem can bring. It can bring an opportunity. An opportunity to discover something that you never would have unless that problem existed. And as we look here at Acts chapter 6, we discover that there is a problem within the church. If you have been with us during these weeks through the book of Acts, then you know that this church is experiencing explosive growth. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we realize that 3,000 believers came to faith in Christ on the day of which the church was birthed. And then we could uh, go ahead a little bit further in Acts 4, verse 4, we discover that the church grew to 5,000, not including women and children. And even in 6.1 and in 6.7 here in the chapter that we're going to be covering this morning, we'll see that the church continues to grow. But as we look closer at our passage this morning, the church is experiencing growing pains. They have some some complaining, some murmuring that is taking place. In this passage this morning, we're going to see how this church addressed this problem. On a grander scale, this is not the first wave of opposition. In chapter 4, the church was opposed by persecution by the Sanhedrin. In chapter 5, the church was opposed by, by hypocrisy, where this man and woman lied to the leaders within their church. And now the third wave of opposition is demonstrated in some infighting, where there's some people that are not being taken care of. So let's look at this passage this morning. We're going to discover the problem, the plan to address that problem, the product, the result of that plan, and then we'll conclude with the point. What what is the point of these seven verses? So let us first consider what is the problem that is uncovered here in Acts 6. Let's look again at verse 1. It says here, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. I think we need to do a little history here because there are two different groups of people. There's a group called the Hellenists and then there's a group called the Hebrews. Real quickly, if you do a historical survey of the Old Testament, you realize that the land of Israel was for the Israelites, this promised people, this promised land that God told Abraham that he would give to his people. But over the course of history, these Israelites would harden their hearts against God. And God would allow foreigners to raise up and actually take them from the land of Israel and exile them to foreign lands. When they went out there, they actually planted their lives and they lived in these foreign lands for generations to the point where they would speak the native language of that land. And in this case, the Hellenists are those who speak Greek. And it could be later in life, these people come back and says, you know, I want to I wanna be buried in Israel. I want to be buried in the promised land. So these Greek-speaking Jews that at one time lived out of Israel would move back to Jerusalem or Israel to be among where their, where their forefathers were. But they didn't speak Aramaic like the Jews there in Jerusalem. And so both these Jews, the Greek-speaking ones and the Aramaic-speaking ones, were now a part of the church. They didn't necessarily know that they were one yet because the gospel makes us one and there was experiencing some conflict here. The widows 
that were Greek speaking were being left out. They were not being cared for as the Aramaic speaking widows were. And so there was this conflict that arose. A complaint arose about widows being neglected. This word complaint that we see in verse 1 is a great word. It is the word that means to murmur, to grumble, to have a secret displeasure. I suspect each of us know what this word means. If you're driving down the highway, you're driving to work, maybe driving to church, and as you're driving, you hear this little rub. You hear this little tapping. And and you know your vehicle well enough to know that that is not what that car or that vehicle is designed to do. There is something wrong with it. That is the word murmur. That is the word complain. There's something small, something kind of quiet going on, just enough for you to know that it is not operating the way it is designed to. Could be in your dishwasher. Could be in your furnace. There is something there. There's a small little noise that you lets you know that it's not working as it should. And we could say that the first century church here in Acts chapter 6 is not operating at all cylinders because there's some complaining going on. As we look here a little bit further into verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. That is referring to the twelve followers of Jesus. And it says here, it's getting the followers, the new Christians together. And they say to them, it says here, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here's the problem. There are some widows that are being taken care of. But the apostles say, God has given us a calling on our lives to preach the word. And we are not to give up preaching the word to serve tables. To put it another way, we are not to give up serving the word to serve tables. The apostles are stretched too thin. They are unable to preach and care for the widows at the same time. The Bible speaks here. That Paul wrote, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The Bible places a premium on preparation and studying and presenting the word. One pastor, Dr. Barnhouse once said, no man is going to be able to fill the pulpit adequately unless he spends thousands of hours, year after year, in the study of God's Word. One young man came up to Pastor Barnhouse one day, and he said to him, Dr. Barnhouse, I would do anything to be able to teach and preach like you. I would give the world to do that. Pastor Barnhouse said, good, because that's exactly what it will take. The apostles say we cannot be distracted. We must give ourselves over to the study and the proclamation of the word. So here you have the problem. We see it here in chapter 1, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where the widows are being neglected and the apostles say we ought not to give up our calling here need to give these guys some credit. 
There is no shifting of blame. There is no pointing of fingers here. There is just a simple acknowledgement of this problem. One pastor by the name of James Montgomery Boyce at this point reflects on how churches handle problems like this. Pastor Boyce says, you know, as I think about situations like this, I've observed four different ways that churches can handle this kind of stuff. This is not in your outline, but I wonder if you have observed this yourself. He said, one, I think churches at this point could just shun the difficult people. The the squeaky wheels, they could ignore them and, and make them sit off by themselves until they quiet down. Secondly, they can separate. And you can have the Greek-speaking church on this corner and the Aramaic-speaking church on this corner. Has anyone seen something like that? Third, they could rely on that old business meeting. And it is here where the Holy Spirit will speak through the 51%, right? Or finally, a committee could be put together where they can discuss the problem long enough with hopes that it will go away or another problem will surface. So here is the problem. And it's right before the leaders there in this church. Now let us consider, secondly, the plan. What will they do about this? And here is the plan to address that problem. Share the responsibility. Look with me at verse 3 here. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of this decision and this responsibility only being on us apostles' shoulders, we're going to take the weight of this and we're going to spread it. And we're going to put it on your shoulders. This is not just an apostle problem. This is a congregation problem. This is not our church. This is your church. This is something that we have an opportunity to work together to form a solution. So here's the plan. Let's identify and empower leaders to serve. Now, when you look for these leaders, there's five different criteria that you are to look for. So let us look at verse 3 to see these five different criteria. First, they are to come from within the church. You see it there? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. He says, you identify some people within the congregation. Don't look outside the congregation for a solution here. You look within the congregation and you identify some people that can help you with this. The second we see here in verse 3, pick out from among you seven men. The, the, the second thing that we see here is that these, these leaders are to be men. And that's not to say that in the book of Acts and in the early church, women did not play a prominent role. There is certainly evidence of Dorcas and Lydia and Phoebe and Priscilla and Philip's daughters. But when it comes to leadership... That is a position that the New Testament holds off for the men to be leaders within the church. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul wrote, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That's not to say that a woman can't teach within the church, because Titus 2, chapters, verses 3 through 5 address that. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. We see in the New Testament leadership resigned, set aside for the men. Not just because you're a man doesn't make you a leader in the church. There's these qualities that a man is supposed to have in order to be the leader. But when the apostles were getting with the congregation, they said, look within and look for men. Now, this is a concept that in in recent months and in recent years has been pressed back on as as if the New Testament has changed its mind here. But the Bible is clear that the leadership here is is for the men. The third third criteria is that man, that one within the congregation, is to have a good reputation. Do you see it there in verse 3? Pick out from among you seven men of good repute. The value of picking from within the congregation is that the congregation would know the men. They would be able to say... This guy, I've been in his house. He's been in my house. We've, we've studied the scriptures together. I have observed how this man is, loves his wife, loves his grandchildren and his children. I've observed him get frustrated and I've seen self-control in this man's life. This man has a good reputation among us. The fourth quality, the criteria here, is that this man is to be full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit. And it could be in our day that we think of a man or a woman full of the Spirit as the exception rather than the rule. But that is not normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is one who is empowered by the Spirit. And their life bears witness that they are walking and bearing the fruits of the Spirit consistently in their days. G. Campbell Morgan said, this is the the normal Christian life. And if we know of someone that currently has the flu, has a cold, has bronchitis, we would say that there is something wrong with them. In the same way, if we observed a Christian that is not full of the Spirit, we would say something is wrong with them. We wouldn't say something like, man, that person is full of the Spirit. They are different than everyone else in the church. If that's the case, then then we have a wrong perspective. This is normal Christianity that we ought to be full of the Spirit. The the fifth element of this criteria is also found in verse 3, where it says, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. They are to be wise. Now, why why would it be necessary for someone to exhibit wisdom 
if they're just serving tables. Well, have any of you participated in a benevolent ministry? If any of you had to wonder, should I, should I minister to this person who is in need? You do need wisdom. You need God's insight to be able to take care of them. So here's our criteria. And listen to what it says here. You select them, and the last part of verse 3 says, whom we will appoint to this duty. So here's the picture. There is this problem that is going on within the church. And the apostles say it is not right that we should give up the calling on our lives to preach the word and, and, and the, to serve these tables. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to spread the weight of this responsibility on the shoulders of the congregation. And we're going to allow you to select the Magnificent Seven. And we want you to select seven men. And here is the criteria. And once you've selected them, then we're going to appoint them. And here's that list of names. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, and the proselyte of Antioch. And listen to what it says here in verse 6. Then they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Would you not agree that that's a strange thing to do? Why, why would they lay hands on these seven men? Well, why don't you take your finger and go back with me to the book of Numbers. Keep your finger there in Acts 6. And look at Numbers chapter 27 with me, where we see this laying out of hands and where it would have come from. It has to do with Moses passing the torch to Joshua. In Numbers chapter 27, picking it up in verse 18, this is what the Old Testament reads. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand by before Eleazar, the priest, and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. So this laying out of hands had at least two different things that it accomplished when Moses did it to Joshua. One, it says, it was a way of commissioning. The other, it was a way of saying, I, I bestow authority. I'm giving some authority onto you. In the same way, now the apostles, speeding ahead hundreds of years, the apostles have these seven men whom the early church has appointed, and they are now laying hands on them as if to say, we are commissioning you to help us with the work of the ministry. We are giving to you some authority here to carry this task out. So first you had the problem. Then you had the plan, share the responsibility. There was this identifying of seven capable men so now let's pause and ask ourselves, well, what was the outcome of this plan? What, what became of this plan? What, what actually happened as a result of it? Let us look at number three, the product. 
the word of God continued to increase and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That's what you see there in verse 7. And the last part of verse 7 says, And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what became of this? Not only were the widows cared for and the unity restored, but also the gospel continued to go forth. You see it there in verse 7. There's a a wonderful way of saying it. And the word of God continued to increase. That's what Mal prayed. May your word increase in our life. May it increase in our area. Have you ever thought of it that way? That the word of God is active and it can have this movement? You remember Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer? And he took on the corruption within the established church. He would later say of that, he said, take me for example. I oppose the indulgences and and all the popes, but never by force. I simply taught preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept, and when I drank Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip, the word was so greatly weakened, the Pope, that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. Now that quote might require another follow-up message on drinking beer and stuff. But, but hopefully you see that illustrates how the Word of God works and it is active and it is powerful. And you'll see here, not only did it increase, not only were the disciples multiplied, but the last part of verse 7 says that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith as well. Now in chapters 4 and 5, we see these disciples, these apostles, confronted by a high priest, the Sanhedrin. Is this the same group? Most Bible teachers think that this is more of the rank-and-file priest. There were thousands of these priests that would carry out the regular task there at the temple. Many of these priests became followers of Jesus. It is an amazing thing that takes place. With this distribution of work, the word of God increases and the disciples multiply throughout Jerusalem and beyond Jerusalem. Many of us, as we look at Acts chapter 6, conclude, well, clearly this is the establishment of the office of deacons. And and the reason we do that is because in verse 1, there's the word distribution. And in the verse 2, there's the word serving. And both of those in the Greek have this diakono, that Greek word for serving. But if we are honest, there is no word here for the verb diakonis, which is the word deacon. Certainly there are seeds here of the office of deacon. But some have argued that really what you have here is you have a problem that arose. And then you have a plan that came about to address that problem. But these seven men and the problem that took place within this church there in Jerusalem 
would, would go away when the persecution strikes a few chapters later. Because many of these Christians will no longer be in Jerusalem. They will scatter and share the gospel as they do so. What is interesting about these seven men? As you consider the history here of the book of Acts, the apostles were on center stage for the first five and entering the six chapters of Acts. But after this moment, where they allow others to take leadership within the church, they take a step back. And who is the rest of chapter six and seven and eight about? It's about a man named Stephen, one of the seven. It's about a man named Philip, one of the seven. And God uses these men to go beyond Jerusalem and into Samaria. If you're familiar with the table of contents of Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us that they are to take this message from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And up until this point, they are largely just in Jerusalem. But when the church shares the responsibility of the ministry, it launches itself beyond the walls of Jerusalem and into Samaria. So let's consider what's the point. What's the point of this passage? I think it's clear. The gospel can spread and the needs of the church can be met when responsibilities are shared. It was D.L. Moody who said, it is better to put ten men to work than to do the work of ten men. And as I reflect on this passage, I see a few different priorities. One, I see my own priority. I see your priority. And I see our priority. One, my priority is to teach the word. My priority is to pray. These apostles that we see in Acts chapter 6 will eventually die off. And I believe that the pastor, teacher, elders will, will take their place. And it is their calling, it is their priority to give themselves over to studying the scriptures and praying for the people within their church. As I constantly reflect back to Acts chapter 6, I see this is a bit of my, my job description. This is where I'm to prioritize my life. To study the scriptures to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Listen, I love to get out of the office. In fact, I would prefer to get out of the office. I love to go even visiting the hospitals. Particularly if you're the patient and not me. <laughs> I love to do that. But, but my responsibility, as I understand it here in Acts 6, is really to feed you what the Word of God says, and to pray for you that you will apply God's Word. Just in the Bible study that I was sitting in this morning in Ephesians 11, verse 14, we're reminded that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is a shared responsibility. I take comfort in knowing that it does not all rest on my shoulders or my shoulders and Rob's shoulders. It is, it is our church. It's not my church. There is not only my priority, 
But I think there's also your priority as you also listen to these seven verses. We are to share in the ministry. We are to look and identify where's a good place for me to fit in and to help carry out the work of the ministry. We see this exhibited here in Acts chapter 6 where the apostles are freed up to pray and to study and to proclaim the word of God because others have have taken it upon themselves to bear the burden of other responsibilities. And I'm not looking to spray unhelpful guilt this morning, but I would ask each of you, have you found a place where you are helping with the ministry here in your local church? I know of a couple of areas that we just have an ongoing need for. So let me just say a word to our men. Um, We're always in need of some good ushers. You know, an usher is one that would give up 12 Sundays a year. They'd brush their teeth, they'd comb their hair, they'd look nice and presentable, and they would be an extension of the greeter ministry as people come into those double doors. They would arrive and hand out bulletins. They'd look people in the eye and they would love them and, and welcome them. They would look to find a seat for people as they come. They'd be present and helping with the offering. Could we not find enough men that we would have a suitable list of ushers for every Sunday of the month? I'm not trying to get ugly here, but I, I see Shane, who is our, who is our, our lead usher, I see him routinely just trying to pluck people out. Hey, can you help me? We're short today. Can you help me? In a church our size, loved ones, that should not be the case. If you're looking for an entry-level place just to help, that would be a valuable ministry. Where is Shane? There's right there. He's right in the back. Would you see him at the end of the service and say, I would like to help with that? Another area of ministry that we always are in need of is, is our nursery. And Uh, naturally, we want to do background checks. We want to have people that love working with kids, and there'll be some training that goes on there. But this is a a vital ministry in our church, so that moms and dads, after a full week of ministering to their kids, can, can sit here and sit under the Word of God. Oh, how we need people that would see this as a priority to minister, to be able to do that. I can tell you a time in Flint when I pastored there in Michigan. There was a time got up because we were having a shortage of ministers or uh, nursery workers. And I got up and I said, I'm going back to the nursery today. Well, we had a guest speaker, so but he filled in anyway. But, <laughs> but uh, there may come a day where maybe I'll do that here. Because I know that there is an ongoing need for that. And again, a church our size. Could you not commit to 12 Sundays a year? to help us in our nursery. And I think um, Miss Emily is right back there, and and she would be happy to to help and and get you set up to serve in our nursery. There are areas for us to help. And you're like, well, I'm kind of new to church. Where, Where is it that I could? Well, we have an emphasis on we want you not to only attend the morning service, but also to get into some small group Bible study. We meet at 9 o'clock. You could come and you could be a part of that Bible study. And as you lean in and get to know people in that 
in that group, you will find there are all sorts of opportunities to serve one another. Be praying with them, encouraging one another. We are, as we're doing an assessment of this Sunday school, we are realizing that, that Sunday school can't be just the end. That class only lasts for about an hour. And it's really set up for you to get to know one another and then meet outside of class to encourage each other. How many of you are able to make it to a Bible study at 9 o'clock on a regular basis? Just by a show of hands. I appreciate that. Those of you who are not, for one reason or another, you saw those hands go up. Why don't you, at the end of the service, go to them and say, tell me about the class that you're in. Do you think I could go? Or if you look around here and you know of people that are not currently in a class, why don't you invite them to your class? I'm happy to report that the home studies that started a few weeks ago are already full. But we need to continue to place an emphasis on the 9 o'clock Bible studies that we have. So there's my priority, there's your priority, and then there's our priority. One thing that we can't miss about this church here in Acts chapter 6 is that they were honest enough to know that the structure of their church would not allow them to meet the needs of their congregation. And there was problems that was created with that. And so they were flexible. They were honest enough to say, you know what? We've got to do something about that. And they did that. And so there was this posture of whatever it takes to take the gospel from here out. We will do that. If that means we have to change things up in order to do that and change our strategies. If it means we have to examine the way we're doing things and be willing to change We will do that. And we have to look at that, loved ones, in Acts 6 and say, we need to be like that as well. Whatever it takes to be able to take the gospel from these four walls out there, we have to be willing to do that, even if that means changes like we see here in Acts chapter 6. There was was some significant changes that they had to do in order to reach the goal of reaching others and meeting the needs within their congregation. Then finally, I just conclude with this. We began this morning by talking about problems in our life, but problems that can lead to an opportunity. There was a problem there within the first century church that led to a tremendous opportunity. And as a result of addressing that problem and coming up with a clear plan, they were able to go out and multiply disciples. This is what I found in my years of ministry, is that people often begin to explore the things of the Lord. They, they attend a church when there is a problem that enters their life. It could be a strained marriage. It could be trouble at work. It could be a physical diagnosis. It could be a fresh start in moving into another area. There is a problem that is going on. Well, may I encourage you, friends, to not allow that problem to stifle you and to paralyze you, but to see that God may be working an opportunity, more specifically, an opportunity to come to know Him as your Savior. May it be that God has revealed your sin in your life, and that His desire is for you to turn from that sin, repent of your sins, and place your faith in what Jesus has done for you. 
Many of us can identify that there was a problem that God allowed in my life. And that is what brought me to this opportunity of a saving relationship with him. Is that true of you? Is that why you're here today? We might encourage you by faith to reach out and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and place your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross for you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for these these seven verses that I think just paint a picture of a church that's just like ours in that they know what it's like to have challenges. They know what it's like to to see, hey, there's some gaps here and we we need to provide some solutions. And I pray as a church family, Highland Crest would be one where people share in that responsibility, where they feel the burden of it, and they realize that that the future of Highland Crest is, is in your hands, yes, but it is ultimately in their hands as well. And may there be a willingness to take up their part and to do the work that you have called them to do. And I say that to one end of the spectrum, but I'm also aware that there are people on the other end of the spectrum that might be taking on too much. And perhaps what you are leading them to do is to ask for help. and Say, would you help with the work that I am doing? Would you help shoulder some of this that I wouldn't burn out? I pray that you would raise up workers. And when there are needs, the people would continue to to meet those needs for the purpose of seeing the gospel go forth. And may we not miss that important part. In Jesus' name, amen.